This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello and welcome everyone. Before we begin, I have one request for all our listeners. Please take a moment to review our podcast and leave a rating wherever you're listening. It really helps us to know how we're doing. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Angela Fitch. She's a board certified physician in obesity medicine, internal medicine, and pediatrics. She's currently the associate director of the Massachusetts General Hospital Weight Center and a faculty at the Harvard Medical School. She began the practice of obesity medicine at the University of Minnesota, treating children with obesity. In 2012, Dr. Fitch became the medical director for the Metabolic Health and Weight Management Clinic at Park Nicollet and began practicing obesity medicine full-time. Dr. Fitch moved back to Cincinnati to create a multidisciplinary medical surgical weight center. There, she was also appointed the medical director for the executive health program and vice president of primary care before moving to Boston. She currently is serving as vice president of the Obesity Medicine Association and previously served as secretary and a trustee for the OMA. She was the 2015-2016 chair of the clinical management section of the Obesity Society. Dr. Fitch is the winner of 2017 Clinician of the Year Award from the OMA. Dr. Fitch enjoys seeing patients of all ages to help them reach their weight and wellness goals. She enjoys cooking, traveling, and outdoor activities with her husband and her son and looks forward to exploring New England. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Avishkar. Hi, welcome to this session on meal replacements, Angela. I'm looking forward to it, Avishkar. Thank you for having me. I heard your talk on meal replacements at one of the OMA meetings and I was amazed. It was a fascinating talk. So I thought um, I should have you on our show so that the listeners can also benefit from the knowledge that you have to share. Well, great. I love uh, talking about anything related to obesity. So I'm happy to be here. Great. So, um, Angela, what are meal replacement shakes exactly? So meal replacements are are using a uh, specialized protein product, but also these meal replacements have are usually low carbohydrate, um, adequate protein. So you're getting the adequate protein needs of your body. And they also have typically 20% of the vitamins and minerals of your daily needs. So by doing five of these, for example, five of these meal replacements, typically you're getting 100% of your RDA for your micronutrients, so for your vitamins and minerals. So they're not just a standard protein shake that you might get, you know, like out and about at the pharmacy or out and about at the store, right? I was going to ask how they're going to be, how are they different from the protein shakes? Yeah, most of those don't have, they have protein and, um, but they don't have the, the vitamins and minerals. Some of them do, but most of them don't have that 20%. So to be a true sort of meal replacement that one is going to use, most of the time, these meal replacements are used within a VLCD or very low calorie diet um, intervention. 
And that's a prescriptive nutritional intervention, right? So this is something that we're doing in a prescriptive fashion to help people to achieve better weight loss outcomes or, or better obesity treatment outcomes. And that's what the data has shown is that meal replacements, uh, because of their structure, the structured nature of your eating, you know, you're taking control, you're taking your, your choices out of your day, if you will, because of that structure, because of that accountability, right? because of that um, environmental control, you know, you're controlling your environment. If you're just saying, I'm going to have this for breakfast. You know, you know, you're not making a, a choice. And then the the real debate too is whether the fact that they're lower carbohydrate and higher in protein, you know, if they have some sort of metabolic advantage or not. So is there some sort of metabolic advantage to to having that macronutrient composition as well? I see. Okay. Have your patients had success with meal replacements? I know there's a lot of data out there about meal replacements, but what have you seen in your practice in terms of uh, using meal replacements? Well, one thing we know for certain with obesity treatment is that there are going to be responders and non-responders to every intervention. Right. So some people can be super responders, for example, to just doing lifestyle intervention, diet and exercise, right? They can lose 100 pounds and end up on the cover of People magazine, you know, and because they're just very much a responder to that intervention, right? To that just, a, you know, maybe tracking like in my fitness pal or weight watchers, or they're doing some just calorie deficit type of work, right? And they're doing some physical activity and they can respond to that intervention. But for a lot of people, they need a different intervention, whether that be medications or surgery, et cetera. And certainly a VLCD or, or doing meal replacements can be an intervention that people can respond to. A certain percentage of people or a certain subset of people can respond to better. The real question is always, you know, the long-term outcome. And the biggest study that we've had of meal replacements is the look-ahead study, which was done in patients with diabetes and looking at their weight loss over eight years. And one of the things that came out of that study was the patients that utilized more meal replacements throughout the eight-year period, the people in the, the categories that used more meal replacements actually uh, maintained and lost more weight over time, over that time period. So it does provide this, it provides some sort of um, tool and we don't really quite know exactly, you know, what it's providing, but by having this, it, it can allow people to potentially uh, have more weight loss and diabetes resolution, et cetera. How do you incorporate this into your um, clinical practice and how do you start patients on uh, a meal replacement? What's the discussion that you have with your patients? So for some people, you know, they may want to do, again, like I said, I, I like to coin this as a prescriptive nutritional intervention because you're saying, you know, this is what we're going to do in a prescriptive fashion. And other things that might fall into that category would be intermittent fasting and a, a therapeutic carbohydrate reduction or what people might call a ketogenic lifestyle. So um, I like the term therapeutic carbohydrate re um, reduction a little bit better because it sort of is what it is. You're reducing your carbohydrates. And um, right. I have a patient that's done very well with just an occasional meal replacement, you know, just breakfast and reducing her carbohydrates to under 100 grams even. She's been very successful with weight loss, whereas when she was above 200 grams, she was not doing well, you know, despite the fact that the calories were the same. So again, everybody's different as to what I think that you know, what intervention is going to work for them. But I really have to, you know, ask people like, 
if this is something, if this is, you know, really something you want to do, and especially people that are looking to lose weight, like, especially good for people that like need to lose weight before knee replacement, or had a patient who had to lose weight before a Whipple procedure and, you know, needed to lose weight, you know, relatively urgently, you know, and get it off and needed a mechanism to do that. And that was a way to be able to do that was using a VLCD approach, which is really a complete meal replacement. So you're replacing all your meals when you're in a a VLCD. Okay. And then that's a short term, of course, because that's not a sustainable effort anyway. Well, I mean, people are able to sustain it, you know, in uh, most programs go for 12 weeks. Um, We had a patient once that did it for quite some time that he was very successful with it. And then combining that with medication and combining that with other lifestyle interventions long-term, that was just really worked for him. For some people, it really works for them because they're like, for a lot of people, I find it's the people that are like, oh, I just forget to eat all day. I'm busy at work. I don't have time, you know. Um, you know, they're just like, oh, sure, I'll just drink a shake, you know, and I'll just go about my day, right? And that, for them, that works. And then they get to enjoy food when they want to enjoy it, which is at dinner with their family, right? And they don't, you know, during the day, it's not that important to them. And just to have these uh, sort of meal replacement products is enough. So whether you're doing a complete meal replacement or partial meal replacement um, is sort of, you know, where you might want to differentiate um, the difference. A complete meal replacement, which is a VLCD, which is 800 calories or less, um, should really be done under the supervision of a physician um, and not something someone should do, you know, sort of on their own or by themselves. That's really one of the key differentiators. But using a partial meal replacement where you might have a shake for breakfast and a bar for a snack and a lean and green lunch and a lean and green dinner, you know, that can be done even with some of the over-the-counter products that we that are, that are available. Right, and then just gives you more structure to the whole regimen, the daily mm-hmm. regimen. Okay, and I was going to ask you, um, is there a difference between the different meal replacement products that are available? Because there are some that are available over-the-counter and some that we prescribe as physicians, as obesity specialists. I think it's important as a physician, at least, who's practicing obesity, even if you're not, even if you're not doing that full time, would be to have some of these a list of some of these meal replacements that are over the counter that that are probably that you can sort of vet, if you will, you know, and pick out because there's a lot of them and there's a lot of them that are frankly pretty good, but you have to be able to pick them out because you don't want something that's got, you know, 400 calories and like 80 grams of carbohydrate and then sugar and stuff, right? So some of these right. things are pretty loaded with, you know, they're, they're meant to be things that athletes might use after exercise, you know, for recovery or something, right? So, so some of these products are not meant for weight loss necessarily. And so differentiating that can be important and patients can have a hard time with a big shelf full of products. Right. So what should they look for in terms of meal replacements geared towards, uh, say, treatment of obesity, and they want to buy something that's available over the counter? What are the things that people can look for actually? Yeah. So I say to go for something, you know, that's around 160 calories or less, right? So around that or 200 calories or less in that range. And usually a 20 grams of protein or more in the um, product. Per serving. And then per serving, you know, per the, the serving. And then um, less than 10 grams of carbohydrate typically um, is unless um, some of those carbohydrates are coming from fiber, you know, then you can potentially have a little bit higher, like in the 10 to 15 sure. gram of carbohydrate range. But the, the protein should be at least, if not more than the carbohydrate, um, sort of matching those right. is what I um, tell people. 
Right. I just want to take a moment to request all our listeners again to please leave us a review and subscribe to the show. So how long do you think people can take these shakes and how much is too much? So again, I have patients that that live into that as their lifestyle because it works for them. Right. Now, I also had another patient that wanted to do our program, our 12 week program, you know, that's based on meal replacements. And she's like, yeah, I hate meal replacements, but I'm just going to treat them like chemotherapy and just plug my my nose and drink them down. And I'm like, yeah, that's not right. Like, you shouldn't do that. That's not the way we should live. Like, I don't want you plugging your nose and like drinking it down, you know, in order in order to lose weight. That's not appropriate to me, you know. Um, And so. You know, people will kind of, you know, want to do things that that are successful, but we also have to recognize that that might not be for everybody. Um, but but you can do it forever if it works for you, 80% of the time, right? We say things have to, you kind of have to live into a lifestyle 80% of the time. And if if that works for you every day at work, where you have a couple of these two or three meal replacements during the day and Again, maybe you have a salad, maybe you have an apple in addition, and then you go home and have a a healthy meal. And again, 80% of the time, you know, that's the way you live. There's nothing wrong with that. I see. Is there a difference between meal replacement shakes for, say, weight loss and weight maintenance? No, they're pretty much the same. You know, we utilize the same products ongoing, depending on, uh, I mean, obviously you can pick different brands, different things, just have variety. You know, I mean, there's lots of different tastes of things out there. Some people, myself even, I find that sometimes I get sort of tired of something, you know, so I'll switch to something else. Um, so I think, you know, just sort of recognizing what you like, what you don't like. And what, what some people like is not what other people like. Unfortunately, most of these products tend to be very sweet. Um, and many people don't appreciate sweet things like that. You know, they're more of a savory person, you know, so that can be challenging and not always a good fit for people if they don't don't like um, sweet things right have your patients ever encountered any problems or any challenges with the replacement shakes and how did you help them with those situations and what should people kind of look out for yeah so if especially if you're doing a more vlcd type of approach which is 800 calories or less you know mostly meal replacements all day uh, sometimes people can get some um, diarrhea some looser stools and sometimes people also get constipation you know, so managing that with some fiber, usually Metamucil, Benafiber, et cetera, uh, can be helpful to sort of bulk things up. Because if you're if you're just drinking, you know, protein shakes all day for your main nutrition sustenance, it's just liquid going through. Right. You know, sometimes it doesn't sort of it doesn't treat you the same way as as other food and roughage, you know, going through your intestines. So yeah, and hopefully people would be doing it under doctor's supervision. So. Um, their physicians should be able to prescribe them those medications. And they're available over the counter also in case they need them. So it doesn't necessarily yeah, need a prescription. Yeah, exactly. But that's for, you know, again, if you're doing that, that's really for, but even with doing the intermittent protein shake, et cetera, different brands, different things, you know, can have different things in them. They can also give you, you know, sometimes a bit of um, looser stools. So, you know, just recognizing what you're sensitive to and what, what works for you and what doesn't, you know, is important. And so what should people be cognizant of when they're taking these meal replacement shakes? Anything they should look out for? or um... Yeah, I think, um, like I said, there can be some gastrointestinal changes. Sometimes it's for the better too, right? Some sure. people notice actually when they do these, these sorts of more um, prescriptive nutritional interventions, they also function a little bit as an elimination diet. 
So like when you, when you go on our meal replacement program, for example, and you're mostly doing meal replacements in one meal in our program, you know, you're not maybe eating all the other stuff you were eating before. And you might recognize, well, gosh, I feel a lot better, you know, just sort of like gas, bloating, all the other sorts of IBS type of symptoms that we typically get. And so you can sometimes use that to sort of pinpoint what foods might be at, you know, as you reintroduce things, you can say, oh, I guess tomatoes really bother me. I had no idea that tomatoes bother me like that or whatever the case may be. I'm not picking on tomatoes, but you know. <laughs> right, right, right. No, the other thing I've always kind of struggled with comprehending is the fact that it's a small packet that comes out. So obviously when you're drinking it, the volume is not enough. And for, for some reason, I have not been able to understand whether um, the satiety is there with a small packet and a meal replacement shake. And um, have your patients ever experienced that, that they said, doc, one shake was not enough for me? Yeah. So, I mean, people do experience that. And with traditional meal replacement programs, you're doing usually like I said, five of these in a day. So it really is eating every three hours, right? So you really, every two to three hours. So you're kind of like, you know, shake for breakfast, shake for a snack, soup for lunch, bar for a snack. So you're eating more regularly to sort of combat that hunger. You're not expected to have a shake and then go all day, you know, till dinner. Like we might do sometimes if we eat breakfast and we skip lunch and we are able to like, not eat all day until we get home, right? Which is sometimes maybe that's not good for us. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know some of these things in obesity treatment, you know, and I do think there's a difference between obesity treatment and healthy nutrition. They're not always one and the same, right? And so a lot of times we can have really healthy nutrition and still struggle with the disease of obesity. And so just because someone has obesity doesn't mean they're not, they don't eat healthy. Right. And so um, by having, again, these meal replacements, a lot of times it can help people understand that they're able to lose weight, but they need something else tweaked, right? That we don't understand. Maybe it's eating more, smaller, more frequent meals. Maybe that's what's better for them and their, their phenotype. Who knows? We don't have that kind of personalization to be able to say, Abhishkar, you should eat every three hours and it should be this much protein and this much carbohydrate. You know, we don't, we just don't understand that for, for most people. I think that's a challenge and the beauty of the human body because it's a challenge because we don't know what's going to work for you. And the beauty is it's so individualized that you have to individualize the treatment for each person. Which is the nice part about meal replacements, because if you have a meal replacement program, you know, in your practice or your, you can even just replicate the look ahead. The look ahead study, all of the materials are online and all of the materials are free because it was an uh, NIH funded study. So it was a, a publicly funded study. So they've, they have a, it's lookaheadtrial.org is the actual website that has all of the, and I think it's still active. I haven't been on there recently, but it had the whole printout. So you could just print out the little plan that they had and you could give that to people, you know, and show that to people. And and they could follow it, right? Right. And again, we don't. The good news is that what I tell patients too, it's very good for a lot of people that if they follow that and they lose weight, then at least you know that they're able to lose weight. If they replicate this, because it does provide this sort of definitive structure, right? Versus sort of, you know, even when we track what we're eating, we still overestimate by thirty percent is what the studies have shown us. 
30 percent's a lot right i mean you know what i mean like 30 percent of a you know 100 calories you know is 30 calories which is a decent amount right you're gonna like gain weight if every time you eat you eat that much more than you think you're eating exactly but when you're eating just this meal replacement bar that's all there is is. (laughs) so if you can show yourself that you can get into that routine and and if you can stick with it and you can lose weight it sort of proves the point if you will of what you need to do to be successful and then you have to ask yourself well how do i live into that forever and how do i transition that into something I can live with forever. For some of our patients are like, I'm never going to eat that again because I'm so tired of it. I'm done with that. <laughs> like I want something else, <laughs> right? I want but some patients are like, I love this. I'm going to eat these forever. <laughs> right, right. And I think it's important for people to understand that a VLCD or a very low calorie diet should be supervised by a physician. Yes. So I we do not encourage people to start doing it on their own. Please seek a physician's help if you need to start that. Because it can be very detrimental to your health. It's an intervention that needs to be done. So it has to be monitored clinically. Right. It's a prescriptive nutritional intervention, right? So it's something we're prescribing and something we're doing, you know, under a physician's guidance when you're using it solely. Um, and you have to do it, as we said, with specialized products, uh, not with stuff right. you can just buy over the counter if you're doing it in that intensity. But again, if you're doing it just for one meal or for breakfast or for a snack, you know, then you can use a more wide range of products that are available. The look ahead study was a partial meal replacement. It was not a VLCD. So again, they did these, you know, three products, three to four products and and a meal. And so they included a meal in that as part of the program. So it was 1200, 1200, 1500 or 1800 calories, depending on the the initial starting degree of obesity that the person was dealing with. Right. So yeah, it's all it looks all good for meal replacement. I think people who want to do that, want more structure, can definitely go for meal replacements. But if they want to do a total meal replacement, definitely again seek help for a physician. Any other closing comments, um, Angela, before we end the session? No, I think the biggest thing to remember is that everybody is different, right? And everybody responds to different things. And one one size doesn't fit all, if you will. And so, you know, I think it's important to offer a range of different um, lifestyle opportunities, you know, nutritional interventions that people can employ. And whether that's tracking what you're eating or that's working on some other type of, of meal planning with a dietitian or, you know, there's, there's different ways of doing this. And meal replacements is really just one um, opportunity in obesity treatment to potentially be more successful. Yeah, very well said. Uh, listeners please don't forget to drop us a review or a comment we really appreciate your feedback if you know someone who might benefit from this podcast please share it with them that's all we have time for thank you so much angela for joining us thank you for having me and uh, thank you everyone for listening in i'll see you all next time you've been listening to the decoding obesity podcast Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. 
Until next time.